Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast that aims to educate, inspire and help build brands. I'm your host, Stephen Ryan, founder of 24 Stories, and I'll be joined each week by guests from a variety of industries here to tell you how they built their brands. Welcome to episode 12 of the 24 Stories podcast. And this week we have probably one of the most famous footballers to ever play in Cork and probably one of the most successful managers as well. Delighted to have John Caulfield in the studio. Welcome, John. Good to be here, Stephen. So, John, I want to go back to the start. I know you've just brought out a book, Rebel Heart, but I want to go back. How does a guy that was born in New York go to Roscommon and end up in Cork? How did that happen? (laughs) Yeah, good question. I think uh, very simple, Stephen. Um, Like a lot of Irish people that emigrated many years ago to several places around the world, my dad was from Mayo. My my mother was from Cork. Okay. And they met over in the States, um, in New York, many moons ago. Yeah. And eventually then they got married and I was born. And, um, you know, they wanted to move back home, which would be common for a lot of Irish people who would have had, who would yeah. have had family abroad, you know. And um, my dad moved back and, uh, you know, he bought um, a farm and a pub in Roscommon. Okay. And that was probably... Uh, late 60s Stephen and um, so were you a kid like did you grow up for a period of time inside in, in, in New York can you remember yeah. it yeah I, I, we were in New York till I was about four and I have vague memories vague. but um, you know I, I can remember from the time coming back to Ireland I can remember um, living in Roscommon and all my childhood growing up but yeah. we were used to every year coming to Cork because obviously I have loads of relations in Cork I often spent um three, four, five weeks down here during the summer times and my holidays. So I was well used to be, be, being down and around, but like still at the same time, that's still had nothing to do with my League of Ireland career because that was so far away at the time. Of you course. Know? So um, really, after finishing secondary school, I ended up in the Athlone Regional College or the IT as, as, the, as they changed the name um, for a couple of years in, in business studies. And um, out of the blue, Anko Foss, ETB, whatever the name is, is now at that time it was called Anco. They held a sales course. You could do it in either Cork or Dublin. Okay. And I had to, I had enough of college at this stage to be honest. I'd done two years. I was supposed to do it third year, and I just really wanted to get out and work. Yeah. And on the course, they trained you up for three months, and it was work experience for another three months with the intention that wherever you went, got working in, that they might keep you on. And um, I came down and we did the course with a company called Samco up in Sunday as well. Yeah. Yeah. Kenny Murphy that would have played full back for Ireland and rugby was one of the lads on the course and some great characters and um, I lived in the North Mall with a lad from Glengariff and um, part of my work experience then was to work with Soundstore the electrical shop the electrical yeah. shop in Cork yeah and um, I had been playing with at Lone Town Reserves and I left then because I moved down to Cork and I joined a club called Wembley yeah that were in the Munster Senior League okay um, are no longer in the senior league now. They they have an over thirty five teams, but they're quite a big club at the time around the mid parish. Yeah, and um, someone put me in contact with them, and I played with them for a season. And um, the following season, Michael Punch, who had been with Wembley, went as assistant manager to Nola Manny in Cork City, nineteen eighty six, and I came as part of that move, and hence. That was the start of my League of Ireland career, really, Stephen. And Cork City were a fairly new club at the time. Like, they were only about two or three years old at this point. Yeah, and I suppose, if you think of it, when I was young fellow growing up, you know, we were living maybe 10 miles from Athlone. I used to go into a lot of the League of Ireland matches. They were all Sunday games at the time. Yeah. I went to school in Sligo, 
So I would have watched a lot of Sligo Rovers matches. Yeah. So I was always fascinated about League of Ireland and I love going to the matches. And um, like coming down to, to, to City at the time, or moving to Cork at the time, City had been reformed in 1984. Yeah. Jim Hennebury in particular, who was the, the big driver behind the club, yeah. who had been involved with Avondale and Chris Hurley, they were the guys who started the club off in 1984. And uh, if you think of it, you know, they had Adidas as their main brand. Yeah, they had Guinness as their main sponsor. So they got incredible support yeah. from the start and they were playing in Flower Lodge. Yeah. And Which is no Parky, Parky Ring. Parky yeah. Ring, yeah. yeah. And I remember when I came down playing with Wembley, going to watch City in 85 down in, in Flower Lodge and uh, crowds were, were, were small because a team was, was in the bottom two, three of the, of, the, of, the, of the table and they brought over Trevor Brooking and they were trying to get people from across channel to bring up the numbers and Terry McDermott had also come in, the former Liverpool yeah. player. But really, the first two years, they struggled. Mm. And then 86, Nola Manny took over as the manager and he brought a lot of uh, younger players. Patsy Frayne came in, Philip Long from uh, local teams from um, around the city. But the first number of years, Stephen, it was very tough because, you know, you're in League of Ireland. Shamrock Rovers were a massive club. Yeah. They had won four leagues in a row. Dundalk were massive. Derry had, had come into the league. Yeah. So there was great excitement. But in a football context, we were struggling in the bottom half of the table in the first couple of years. Were players being paid back then? So you talk about the likes of Terry McDermott coming over from the UK. They remind me of kind of like the basketball lads that were coming in from America. They were the kind of similar type of thing. But were the Irish lads being paid? At the time when we first came through, we, would, we wouldn't have got paid. Okay? Yeah, okay, Some lads would have been on expenses. But we didn't have any professional players, as you would uh, uh, call yeah, the time. Yeah. Certainly Terry McDermott, the previous years, and, and Trevor Brooking, they were being paid to come in and play it, you yeah. know. But um, then... As as we moved on for a, a year or two on Eamon O'Keefe came in as the manager in 1987. So Noel had been the manager in 1986 for a season. Yeah. Then they brought Eamon O'Keefe in because they wanted to be more professional okay. and bring professional players in. Hence what, where Phil Harrington came in, yeah. Mick Conroy. Yeah. They, they were those lads that came in as part of that and they would have been regarded as the professional players at that, at that time. So we had a mixture then in 87, 88 of half the guys being professional and being paid a, what, what what you'd call a full-time wage and the rest was then being paid expenses, even though we all had our day jobs. So that's the way it worked at the time. And you know? how did you juggle training then? So what happened at the time, Stephen, was that the lads would train in the mornings and then they'd come at night. Yeah. So we'd train. The general routine was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We'd train again on a Saturday morning and we played on Sunday. So all the games at that time were all Sunday afternoons. Yes. But like for us, it was fantastic. You know, we were all Declan Daly's, um, Liam Murphy's, Dave Barry's, Pat Morley's, all those lads, Stephen Apers, Philip Long. We were all working our day jobs, trained at night and really look forward to the matches. And um, over two or three years, we built a, re a really strong team, a very close team, yeah. um, you know, tremendous um, spirit within the group. And um, Eamon O'Keefe had got sacked after about a year and a half. He certainly brought an, an, a real professional element into the club at the time. But he went, we went through a very bad run in, in 88 after winning the League Cup and he got sacked and Noel came back in. And then we turned into a real strong Cork team that really from from then till about 94 or 5, that group of players were more or less together. And that group went on to get into the Cup final uh, yes. against Derry <clears throat> and then of course went on to win, win the league. Yeah, so the, the 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 breakthrough was we got a good run in the cup in nineteen eighty nine. Derry won the treble. They were the, they were the standout they were the team. team. They had invested huge money. 
Jim McLaughlin had left Shamrock Rovers. He originally was from Derry. Yeah. So he went back as manager and he brought effectively five or six Shamrock Rovers players with him. You know, uh, Paul Doolan, Kevin Brady, Harry Kenny. He brought top players up to Derry with him and they won the treble. We ended up in the cup final against them and the first day was a nil-all draw. They were overwhelming favourites. We'd finished in the bottom half of the table and were given no chance. But that was the famous day that um, with about 10 minutes to go, yeah, Barry hit a shot that hit the inside of the post. Oh, yeah. And came out. And, um, you know, on another day, if it went in, we, we would cause one of the biggest upsets mm-hmm. in cup finals. But the, it was a nil-all draw. Replay the following weekend. Derry were not going to give us a second chance. And the second the second day, they beat us 1-0. But beat us well. Phil Harrington was, was man of the match. I think he made so many good saves. But um, we qualified for Europe that time because, in fact, they had won the league in the cup. We got into we got Europe, Europe. And we got into the Cup Winners' Cup. So we ended up in playing in Moscow against a, a team called Torpedo Moscow. And what was interesting, it was six months before the Iron Curtain had came, came down. Oh, yeah. So co- communism was at its strongest and um, a very bleak place. But for us, it was fascinating to be in Europe for the first time. Yeah. And uh, we were very close to Red Square. So Cork City, Europe, that was our first adventure. And we and how did the club before that, John, back then? Because like, that would have been a huge cost, I'd imagine. It would have been. You were t- you got UEFA money, though, at the did time, you? Stephen. So... Yeah. um. I'm not sure the exact finances at that time, but certainly yeah. you got money from UEFA and you also got money from the FEI. Okay. Now, it wasn't anything, I'm sure, that you would have you would have made a lot of money, but it would have covered your cost to go over there. Yeah. And um, we played them in the first game. They were an army team and we lost 5-0. And we brought them back to Turner's Cross and we lost 1-0. It was a great experience, but to be fair, our team wasn't really a strong yes. team at the time, you yeah. know. And a lot of us were very inexperienced and we were, we were probably... 2021, 20, 22, we'd been a couple of years in the League of Ireland and then roll on sort of 91 league decider outside against Dundalk, yeah. 92 cup final against Bowes, 93 winning the league. So it was a time then we changed from being in Europe every year, challenging at the top of the table, obviously with the Bayern Munich, with the Galatasaray. So that was all that period at the time, you know. So Bayern Munich is the famous one. Although both of them are famous in their own I was at the Galatasaray game in Cork now. Obviously not over in Turkey, but the Bayern Munich one, everyone claims to be at it. Not everyone was there. It was on a Wednesday afternoon. It wasn't even at night time. And in fairness, it's one of those stories where you meet so many people and they say they were there. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, how could they be? Because um, <laughs> because at the time, the chairman, Pat O'Donovan, yes. raised the prices. I look back on the old papers at the time, the examiner, there was uproar the week before the match because he increased the prices yeah. for, the, for the game. Yeah. And the game was moved to Musgrave Park because they had a stand and you had to have a minimum of 200 seats. The prices were £20 to sit in the stand and I think £8 for the terraces. And if you think about it at the time... It was 91, isn't it? It was 91. I think, I think it was like maybe three euro, three euro, £3 at the time into a match. Yeah. So there was a huge hike yeah. and there was uproar and fans were saying they were going to boycott the games. Yeah. And this all went on and... Um, Pat Dunham and the chairman at the time wouldn't stand down and he was saying we need it. Obviously he thought it was going to be a 15,000 crowd. Yeah. And it was, I suppose when you look back on it, that was probably the most disappointing thing because the official attendance was 4,500. Oh, is that all? That's all, there? yeah, because, and I suppose if you think about it, Stephen, in the in the 80s and whatever, you had the closure of Fords. That's right. You know, and I remember coming when I came down in 85, 86, was a lot of unemployment, yeah. you know, so it was. A, it took a long time for... for and for soccer's a working class sport it, as well, so it would absolutely. have affected the soccer, kind of following more so than, than anything else. It wouldn't, it took a lot of uh, time before people got back into em- employment and there yeah. was a lot of unemployment. 
But at the time, it was definitely a mistake by, by Paddy Donovan. But to answer your question, lots of people claimed they were at that game, but there was actually only 4,500. It was disappointing because yeah. it was probably the most famous result in the club's history. If you're yeah. looking at, you know, one all with Bayern Munich, like, you know. German internationals who had just won the World Cup for West Germany, a few of Correct. them, hadn't they, in 1990? Stefan Effenberg and a Stephen few Stefan Effenberg, yeah. yeah. They'd have these famous players. Did, yeah. What was it like to play in the Munich Stadium? <laughs> and then, I, I think the, the, the fascinating thing was that we had the one-all game here. Yeah. Obviously, we rode our luck. You know, Phil in particular, Phil Harrington in particular, had an outstanding game. But to be fair, the team really played really well. And, you know, obviously, Dave had scored a goal. Effenberg equalised. We had one or two half chances in the match ourselves, but ultimately we did uh, yeah. ride our luck a little bit in, the, in late in the second half. But we were one all over to the um, Munich. And um, what was fascinating at the time was that the beer festival was on in Munich when we arrived. Oh, you yeah. Know? Oktoberfest. Uh, the Oktoberfest. And um, Bayern Munich, when you arrive, it's up to the home club to bring you around the, the, the city and show you the um, the sights and whatever. That's, that's They normally do that over courtesy. And of course, they asked us, would we like to go to the Bear Festival? So, <laughs> <laughs> that was a ploy, I'd um, say. That, that, that maybe it was a ploy. So, <laughs> so when we arrived the first day, we arrived on the Sunday. The game was on a Tuesday night. And Sunday evening, they brought us to the Bear Festival. And, um, no, it was, it was, it was, it was a great, it was a great evening. And, um, Noel brought us into training the following morning. And on the, on the Monday, we were training outside the Olympic Stadium. Where there was a number of soccer pitches around yeah. it. And he ran, he ran us for about an hour, I'd say, that morning. And then the Monday night, we actually trained in the Olympic Stadium, you know, oh. which was incredible. Like, you yeah. know, obviously 80,000 stadium. But I think the most remarkable thing in my memory about it was the size of the dress rooms. Huge. You know, we were coming from Ireland, League of Ireland, where yeah. you fit 11, 12 fellas into a tiny little dress yeah. room. And these, th- this stadium was built for the Olympics. So the dress rooms would hold maybe 100, 120 people. Yeah. And funny, on this Sunday when we arrived, when we did a tour of Bayern Munich's ground, they claimed that they were the biggest club in the world. Um, yeah. That's the way they saw that's themselves. They, yeah. Okay, And they were sponsored by Mercedes. Yeah, But they brought us into their training area and they had hydro pools, oxygen, chambers for recovery. Yeah. No one had ever heard of any of this. And yeah. if you think of it, move on, that was 1991. It was only when Arsene Wenger came into England in 96, 97, 98, that down eight, nine, ten years down the road, yeah, English the science coast, and all that, the science yeah, and all yeah. that came in. They had all this. Yeah, it was incredible. So you know, it just it just shows you how far typical Germans, how far they were ahead. But it's an amazing as well, John. So you, you guys, you had a couple of lads that were being paid full time, but most of you were working full time jobs. Dave as a plumber, you're working in sales. You know, a decky in the bank. There was a, there was yeah. a lot of different guys like that. But yet, ultimately, you weren't hammered either. Like he drew with them in Cork and yeah. like you'd often wonder, is there that much of a difference to justify the wages of the... Yeah, I think if you look at it at the time, probably, Stephen, we trained incredibly hard. Yeah. So for, from a fitness point of view, you know, we were incredibly fit, uh, which you would have in lots of the other sports like mm. the rugby and the jade, similar wise. But I think um, tactically wise and that, sometimes when you go out and play these teams... You can say Noel was very good defensively and a very good defensive manager and coach. So sometimes in Europe, it suited us because we could sit in and defend yes. well. Yeah. But like over in Munich, you look at the game, 75 minutes gone was still nil all. And while we were soaking up the pressure, they hadn't created any real clear cut chance. And then there was a period from about the 60th minute onwards 
where we got a little bit of play up near their area and we created one or two half chances. And I suppose invariably we got a little bit stretched yeah. thinking that we might score one yeah. to knock them out. And then we lost the ball. I think they, there was a throw in ball was played back to Dave and he, got, he went to play it square and it was intercepted. And three passes later in the back of the net and that was yeah. the difference, you know. And we lost 2-0 in the end. But it was an incredible experience. But I suppose, Stephen, it's it, it's hard to say that at the time we lived for the football. We worked hard during the yeah. week. We trained hard. You know, but our day jobs paid our mortgages. Yes. You know, the expenses we got from playing was, was our social money as such. Yes, of course. But, um, you know, we, we loved and we, li- we lived for it. But it's different the way the game has moved on because, you know, the science has come into the game and strength and conditioning is huge. So the game has just changed so much. And that time, I suppose... It was alien to us and mm. we were ignorant to it, you know. And that, that, you that, didn't have the fear maybe, did you? Probably didn't have the fear. I, 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 it was just going out having to cut off it and, and and that's the way it was. But, um, you know, when I look back on it, you think that maybe if nowadays with the science that's involved, how much better your team could be, you know, if we knew all those mm. things back then. But then again, may, maybe not, do you know what I mean? It was just, we, we were, you know, I suppose it was a different time. Your panel was made up of 16 players. Yeah. So getting an injury, you never wanted to miss a match. Yeah. You know, so, you know, nowadays, you know, a fellow might have a slight strain and he'd say, he, you know, he might say he doesn't want to play. Yeah. Whereas, whereas in those days, there was no such thing as not playing. Yeah, you, you, you know, you were just wanted to play. And um, um, so it was just a different, a different, a different time. And there was no social media, no mobile phones, but an inc- incredible time. And we were lucky because Bayern Munich, Galatasaray, they were the last years of the open draw. That's right. After that, the seeding came in yeah. and it, it took away from getting the real big draw anymore, you know. The Catalatastory was interesting because it was the first time Cork City won the European Cup. Well, it could have been called the Champions League. I don't know what they were yeah. calling it at that point. Yeah. You were very close. He actually went over to Turkey and it was like, was it 2-1? Yeah, it was like we had beaten a team called Cumbran Town yeah. in the previous round, a Welsh team. Mm. And we drew Galatasaray and while Bayern Munich was you know, so memorable in so many ways of the result at home, going out to the Olympic Stadium. Yeah. Galatasaray was the intimidation, the um abuse, um, the noise levels. I never heard anything like it. And was it since. a full house? It was a full house of thirty thousand. They yeah. were in when we arrived to the ground, maybe an hour and three quarters before the ground, there was about twenty thousand in the ground. Yeah. Um their noise was incredible, the colour in the ground was incredible, flares all over the place. And we were going out there and the, the word in Turkey or in Istanbul was that they were going to win 5-0. And to be fair to, to us, they had Kubalai playing up front. They'd signed him for a million pounds from a, a Switzerland crowd at the time. Yeah. And um, he subsequently played for Switzerland and scored at Wembley in the European Championship Finals two years later. Oh. And they had four or five Turkish internationals um, two guy was the biggest name they had. He went yeah. out to play with Blackburn Rovers, and they and they'd um, Hakan Sukar centre forward. Very they scored lots of goals around Europe. But these guys hadn't left Turkey at the time. Yeah. Stephen was before they moved. But it was you know it was a game where they were dominant. We were we were dangerous on the break, and they scored before half time. And maybe ten fifteen minutes after the second half, they got the second. They were two 0 up, and the crowd was absolutely it was electric, and the noise levels were electric, and uh, we were hanging on. But the incredible thing was that we broke with maybe 20 minutes to go and uh, Dave went down the wing, pulled it across and Pat came in at the back post. Mm. 
and between Pat and the defender sliding back in, the ball went into the net wow. and it was 2-1. And the hissing and the abuse from the crowd to the, towards their, their own team was incredible. So they turned on them? Totally. Yeah. And the 5-0 game became 2-1 and the last 15 minutes the Galatasaray players didn't even want the ball. It was it was, it was, it was really it was really funny and weird there to see how the atmosphere had, had turned so dramatically. Yeah. And when the game finished, it was in the days when you went behind the goal, the um, dressing rooms were underneath the ground. Oh, yeah. So you had to walk. You'd often see it still in some of South American football. Yeah. You walk down steps under the ground. Yes. And, and down a tunnel into the dressing room. Yeah. And the Turkish police, as we were going down, and we were all, you can imagine, we were absolutely so excited. and Delighted. You got to go all in. Hugging yeah. each other and thinking, you know, from five now we're back to Cork at 2-1. Yeah. One. Yeah, one goal here and we but, get it. Like, but yeah. going down the tunnel, Fergie O'Donoghue got a clatter from one of the guards and Whoa. and then I remember going down, he, he tried to more or less look at him to say what's, what's going, going on, on and, yeah. and everyone was saying just get down because yeah. the, 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 the venom in their eyes was incredible and we didn't leave the ground that night for about an hour and a half afterwards because our bus had been attacked, the windows, two of the windows had been broken and we just had to stay in the dressing room until everything was cleared. So it was incredible. And normally when you go back to the hotel and those you were being trips, Stephen, you were looking forward to going out after the match for a few drinks or whatever. Yeah, try a new city or wherever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we weren't allowed out. Yeah. We were advised to stay in the hotel and uh, so it was, it was incredible. But the funny thing about it was the day before the match, they had brought us on a tour of the Bosphorus. Yeah. And they also brought us to, down to one of the markets in Istanbul, one of yeah. the major markets. It'd be sort of like the old English market here in Cork, but much, yeah. much bigger, you know. Yeah. And um, they said that if we were a massive team in Europe, they wouldn't, we wouldn't be allowed to do that. Okay. But the fact that we were perceived as a team that was going to get well beaten by them, there was no problem. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it was interesting. And then, you know, roll on two weeks and we ended up out in Bishopstown. I was at it, I remember. And, you yeah. know, fantastic crowd. And they, they came with huge flags. I never saw anything. To this day, I've never saw anything in Cork like that. There was The closest was maybe Warsaw came a few years ago and all their fans, but all these big, huge, massive flags going through Corraheen. Yes, yes. I don't know how they ended up in Corraheen, but <laughs> it, like I'd imagine they were maybe Turkish living in Ireland or something, or they flew over. Or... Yeah, I think there was a combination of Turkish living in Ireland and in England that came over because okay, yeah. they're, 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 they're fanatical supporters. Yeah. And 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 you can imagine now when we were in, in Turkey that there was 30,000 people and those flags were all over the place, okay? Yeah, yeah. But um, the funny thing in, in Bishopstown was that, as you know, Bishopstown was a little bit of a bog. It was. Really, really, yeah. to be honest with you. Like, like Pat Donovan had, had tried to build a new ground. and He had a know, great vision, but he, I don't yeah. know if the, the, it was fully kind of thought out, I'd say, was it? It was probably too quick, too early. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, Stephen, there was no bypass in the city. Yeah. You know, so there's no link road. Yeah, you know, of course. And if you can, can remember when there was talk about the ground going to Bishopstown, you know, the city supporters were thinking, that's out in the country. Yeah. You know how did you get out there? You know, how yeah. did you get out, you know? <laughs> and uh, and then the pitch was, you know, he bought that land and he, he put a number of pitches around it. We used to train around there. But really it was bog land that needed to be developed. Yeah. But all of a sudden, you know, there was, there was a stand being built there and uh-huh. the stand wasn't fully finished when Galatasaray came. We were both talking out in the SB club. So he walked across from the SB club, Correct. which is over the road, yeah. Yes. You can imagine then that they're coming out and there's 7,000 people at the match and everyone is standing around on the clay banks. Yeah. The pitch is very heavy. Yeah. And it became one of those games when certainly, and I wrote about in the book that there's definitely one that was left behind. 
I remember Billy Woods, I think, hit the side netting, uh, but Anthony everyone Buckley. thought it was a goal, was Anthony it? Anthony Buckley. Was it Anthony, Anthony, was it? Yeah, they came into the back post and it looked yeah. like... Everyone thought it was good. Yes. They all, the crowd yeah. cheered and that would have been 1-0 and that yes. would have been... That would have been that, that would have had you through. And uh, and Declan Hyde, a guy we had from Limerick who played in the middle of the field, he had a header was narrowly wide. Like, we had chances. Yeah. And I remember that uh, Damien Rico, Damien Richardson, had come in as, as our manager that season. Yeah. So Noel had stepped down after the league, did he? Correct. No, Noel's time in the league had come, and I, and I think you know Noel had a combination of being there for you know four or five years. I yeah. think Pat Donovan wanted to change, but I think Noel, being the Cork City manager, is a, is a tough gig even yeah. when you're winning. Yeah. And year after year, so I think it had come to a stage where Noel's time was done, and uh, and Pat wanted to change, and he brought in Damien Richardson, and Damien was very uh, flamboyant real attacking manager yeah. and was really good for the team and he was very good for the team but in that game that was one of his first games because that was in in late September yeah. so we were only after playing maybe a couple of League Cup games a couple of League games and I, rem- I can distinctly remember at half time in the match we were saying look we need to put on another forward here these guys are there for the taking and yeah. Damien didn't want to do it you know he was still saying look keep it tight and whatever whereas we felt the opportunity was there and and then with eight minutes to go, they broke away and they scored and we lost 1-0. And to be fair, like, I think to be fair to Damien as well, it was his first managing of Europe. Yes. And it's different than managing in Europe than managing yeah. in, in ordinary league yeah. games, to be fair. Um, but I think the galling thing was that, you know, two days later, Galatasaray draw Man United. That was the thing. You know, and... Um, and Manchester United then faced Welcome to Hell and that's... Eric Cantona was, was assaulted by the... So he had actually... <laughs> Experience what these Manchester United players were about to experience. They should have made a phone call to you. Yeah, absolutely, we could have, we could have told them. And of course, they, they knocked out Man United. They did. That was a huge a, shock, a major shock at the time because United were after you know winning the the league, the league, the league, the league and the, and United were, were were huge at the time. You know because they were on that run of dominance, and this was a major, major shock. So um, yeah, so that was probably the one time in Europe you look back and go, that was the one that got away. You know. So then I'd imagine the club went to Bishop's Town. It kind of went through a bit of a rocky stage then for a few years, <clears> did it, before there was any more success? It did. It went through probably that period where that season we were we were very good. We were neck and neck with Rovers all the way through and they won the league. We were second and um, the following year we started on fire. And we were about, at one stage I think we were about 12 points clear after about 15 games. Yeah, And then there had been an incident between Rico and Pat O'Donovan close to Christmas and they were having a few issues and a few a few rows mm. and I remember we were up in the showgrounds and maybe the end of November and we lost and coming home Rico told us he was resigning Yeah, and we were devastated we thought you know maybe he'll think about it overnight and change, change his mind, mind. Yeah. but he never did and um, I, I'm not sure were we 10 points or 12 points ahead at the table at the time but we looked as if we were uncatchable yeah. You know, um, even though there still it was only half the season gone, but we were so dominant. And the team just never recovered. Pat Donovan went back then and he brought Noel back in. And I think the team felt that, you know, we had Noel for six years, his time was done. This was not yes. the time for Noel to come back in. Yeah. And um and and just unfortunately Noel just couldn't get a kick out of us. And I remember the next six, seven or eight games, I think we only took we only got two draws out of a last six or seven games. It just took the soul out of the team, you know. And we and that season we just we just faded away and ended up I think fourth or fifth, you know, and it was it was it was very disappointing because 
it was um a really strong group and a strong team. But um and I've no doubt in my head that if, if, if Rico had stayed, I've no doubt that we were, we would have won the league in, in that year. And it just sort of filtered out after that then because Noel went at the end of that season. Rob Highmarch came in. Yeah, and there was a couple of changes in for a few years, wasn't there? There was different managers in there. There was, and the Bishop's Town was closed down. There was money issues. Back to Turner's Cross. Back to Turner's Cross. So we ended up in a, a couple of seasons where we were out of Europe, at mid-table, and um, Rob Highmarch then brought in a lot of players from abroad, particularly a lot of English players. And, and how, would, how did that go with the dressing room? Because it was always a core group of local lads. Kind it of. was. There was. I, I think there was, you know, there was the, the whole, you know, that David got an injury, Decky had got an injury. I think they were both crucious and they had both been out for, for nearly a year. Patsy had gone to the Cove. Yeah. You know, so the team had sort of broken up a bit as well. And, and um, we had some younger players coming in like Garrett Crone and Conley Connolly Connolly from um, Bishopstown. We still had Anthony Buckley. There was the team was changing, but we ended up then with five, six, seven English players coming in, and um, we lost the Cockness, and we went through a very bad period, and probably was the worst period of my my yeah. my career because we didn't stand for what we should have stood for, in my, my, and and uh, we became um, not competing, and I think it within the club and the professionalism was gone out the door, and. Um, we had lost the Cockness. And the did team. the locals lose interest as a result? Well, the I numbers think that, went down, I, the, the, the crowds had drifted away, yeah. you know, but I think it was a frustrate, frustrating time uh, to be a Cork person in the dressing room yeah. when you sensed that a lot of the team, you know, were in, were in Cork and didn't really yeah. care too much. Yeah. And so that was that period of, I think, 95, 96. And then Rob Highmarch was, was sacked. And then that was the start of Dave and Liam Murphy coming back in. They were after finishing playing. They were after they came back in and took over the club. And how did you find that then as players to have your own teammates coming in to manage you? I think to be honest, Jay, it was great because yeah. we knew exactly that you know the, the structures would be put back in place and that we get back to what we were about. Do you know what I mean? And uh, you know that we come back to being you know a Cork team, a passionate team, getting the crowds back in. Yeah. And that, you know, there'd be a bit about us that the teams would be coming out to Turner's Cross and getting an easy game and, yeah. you know what I mean? So, um, while was it, was it awkward for me or some of the lads like, like Declan Daly or Stephen Napier because, because Liam and Dave were there? No, because, you know, we knew that they, they, they do the right things to put the club back in the right way. Yeah. Um, Pat left at the time as well, which was a blow. Pat went to Shelburne during That's that right. period yeah. as well. And of course, Pat was so good and uh, as a player, that was, that was a loss to us. So it was all that, Probably, as I'd say, Stephen, that eighteen months, two years, when it was the worst part in 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 in, in the career when I played, yeah. because we lost good players and things were bad. But yeah. thankfully, when Liam uh, and Dave came in, then you know we went back to competing, and we then we went back to probably a three or four year patch there where we won the cup in '98 and uh, competed in Europe and were challenging Pats for the league title yeah. very closely in '98, '99, and we'd be and when we got back into Europe as well. And you were still banging in the goals through all of that. Yeah, I, I was lucky. I suppose I, I, I ended up with probably playing with Pat Morley for five or six years. And Pat was a, was a top player, Stephen. Yeah. You know, he was a brilliant uh, uh, goal scorer. He could do anything. And we had a partnership in that, you know, as I keep saying to him, I was doing all the dirty work and he was scoring the goals, which was great. <laughs> yeah. And uh, But I loved it. And we yeah. just ended up that. Then Pat left and there was a period then, you know, Damon O'Connell came in. 
Yeah. They had an Avondale afterwards and Damien was yeah. there for a year with Damien and Noel Hartigan. Yeah. And then there was Johnny Glynn came in and um, so, but it, I suppose it was never the same as as the partnership. I, I, you know, the Pat, obviously, you know, but yeah. I had been lucky in that I still got a, I still got a few goals, but you know, by the end of the nineties, my time was coming to an end. You know, and did anybody at any stage offer you a move somewhere else? You know, I think after we won the league ninety three, ninety four, the following year, I think when Damien Richardson left, um, Dermot Keeley was manager of Dundalk, and he and he asked me. Later on, I had an opportunity to go to, to Waterford in 98. But to be honest with you, Stephen, I had no interest. You know, it, it was... You were very it, much about Cork City. Very yeah. much. And I was working and I had, a, I, had a, I had a good day job and, you know, I was working to pay my mortgage, bring up my family. And, you know, the, the expenses that I was getting from City, you know, it yeah. was never about money, it was about playing. Yeah. And I couldn't see myself playing with anyone else and I was very happy here. And even though I went through a couple of years when the team wasn't good, still at the same time, I still love playing for the club. Yeah. So, uh, for myself, and I think for a lot of the lads at the time who did get offers from other clubs, um, a lot of them just, it wasn't in their interest to go anywhere else. You know yeah. what I mean? And um, and it was different for Pat because I know Pat took a lot of um, criticism afterwards, but his work at the time, he had been with Adidas and feeling he was doing an awful lot of work with Lifestyle and, and a lot of the bigger sports companies mm. that were in Dublin. So he was away a lot in Dublin. So it made more sense to him. Yeah. Whereas for us, yeah. you know, we were, we were here and, you know, we, we, we weren't moving anywhere and all our work was down here, you know. And were you building a career with Diageo at the same time then, was it? I went from Soundsler to Omani Packaging um, and and they employed a number of Cork lads, Cork City lads. And then I happened to join Diageo towards the end of my career. And I had, I was at Diageo for, in West Cork for, I think, five, six, six years. And then I went to another drinks company, um, C&C Bulmers in yeah, Clamel. Yeah. And uh, so... I had been on the road all the time in sort of uh, management or business development, and um, I was always, you know, uh, on the road. And it was it, it, it suited the League of Ireland, you know, style because you you were you were working during the day and you could train at night, and yeah, you were available at weekends. And um, so, um, yes, yeah, was I was lucky from that from that regard. You know, I'd imagine though you had a lot to talk to people about as well, and they probably were interested. Oh, there was John Cobb. I saw you had a good result at the weekend. That kind of thing was happening in the bars, was it? It was, and it was great. And of course, you know, when you won, and don't get me wrong, Stephen, if, if you didn't win, there was people able to tell you what you did wrong, what yeah, mistakes you made, yeah. which was great. And that's the brilliant thing about sport and being around Cork because people have so much interest, yeah. you know, and yeah. you, it's only when you go into different parts of the country and you look around, you know, as I always say down here, whether you've played rugby with Ireland, you've won all Ireland with Cork, yeah. you've won League of Ireland with Cork City, you walk around the city, everyone knows who you are mm. and, they, and they'll give you their opinion. You know, in other parts of the country, that's, Guys that could win three, four, five League of Ireland medals, people wouldn't know them, they wouldn't know which them, is disappointing. Yeah. Like you know, but that's just the way it is. But uh, you know, it, we're in, in, it, we're unique down here because sport is so is so huge and it's so big, and we all know everyone wants to be behind and support the um, the winning teams. But you know, if you're not winning, as as we know, people won't turn up to the matches. When you finished playing, then did you go straight into coaching with UCC, or did you take a break for a while? No, I went straight to Avondale. Or was it Avondale first? Yeah. In my head, you know, when players retire, you know, some of them go into marathons or Ironmans yeah. or golf. You know, I remember coming to the end of my career, myself and Liam Murphy, we were doing our coaching badges through the FEI. Yeah. Brian Kerr at the time was the technical director of the FEI. Yeah. Noel O'Reilly was his assistant. And the A license was the highest level you could get to. There was no pro license at the time. So like we had completed our A license by 2001. Yeah. So by the time I was more or less finished playing, I was more or less 
I've done my coach. co- coaching badges done. So um, I went into Avondale in the Munster Senior League. Absolutely fantastic experience. So I stayed with Avondale for seven years. And, you know, I learned so much, made so many mistakes. And like that, the club were struggling at the time. And over the next seven years, we had tremendous success. Um, brought Noel Healy came in. Michael Punch came in from Cork City, came in with me, Michael Walsh. And we ended up having um, won two FAI Intermediate Cups and were competing at the top of the Senior League. And it was a great learning experience for yeah. me, managing players and managing people. So I was with them for seven years. And then I took a year out, which was incredible when I think about it, because never in my life had I never had I ever taken a break. Yeah. And what I thought would be a year out to recharge I ended up after about two months wondering what am I doing because all my life I've been out training three, yeah, four yeah. nights a week. Yeah. And uh, and I got the opportunity then to go into UCC and it was a great, a great experience. I was there for four years up to the time I went to City, you know, and you're managing students. So for managing Avondale, we are dealing with guys who are working every day. Uh, you're now we're dealing with students who have no cares other than going to college, yeah. trying to train them and trying to mind them. Yeah. So you're dealing with 18 and 19 year olds and 20 year olds as opposed to adults with Avondale. So, um, you know, it was it was a fantastic experience. And I also did the Irish universities as well over a year. So I had got a lot of experience, but I suppose it was, um, you know, for myself and, you know, with UCC, we won the Collingwood and we were competing in the Munster Senior League. And uh, it was just it was just a good time. And uh, it led on to, you know, Cork City 214 and the opportunity when it came up you know, Tommy Tommy Dunn was sacked and at the end of that season, 2013, they were looking for a manager and it probably came to the time where it was either now or never. And did you apply for it? It was an interesting one where I'd seen the job coming up and obviously I was a regular supporter of, of City yeah. because I was at all the matches yeah. and all the great times, the 205 win, the 207 Cup in the RDS. I yeah. was also at the, the, the games that we lost and, yeah. and the European ventures. And I remember going to a match I think it was the last match of the season and Stuart had gone in as temporary manager and um, and I met Mick Ring. He was the chairman. I didn't really know Mick and I said about the job and he said, you have to apply and, yeah. and he says, yeah, but you, you don't have any badges. And I was going, I actually have my A licence. Yeah. I have it for years. Yeah. But I think I found it strange that I was going every week to games and no one would say, would you be interested? But then again, was it because you were you weren't coaching at League of Ireland level and they were kind of... Yeah, and I think probably if you think of it, a lot of supporters and new supporters that we had came on the boat on the express ship. On the 2005 wave. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. after Pat Dole and yes. then Rico, you know. Yeah. So they'd have been oblivious to anything before that, which is understandable. Yeah. But before that was all my career with the, yeah. with the club playing yeah. wise, you know. Yeah. So I said, don't make an... I rang him. Yeah. I said, look, I'll ring you tomorrow. And he was busy at the match. And I said, no, I have my A licence. And he says, you need a pro. And I said, yeah, but I can do my pro licence if I'm managing. And anyways, I got called for the interview. And I can always remember the interview was on bank holiday, October weekend. The season had just finished and it was on the Tuesday after the bank holiday. And there was a lot of talk in the paper that Glenn Roder was in for the job. Oh yeah, the West Ham guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, a Newcastle guy and, yeah. and, that, and that he was the favourite to get mm. it. And, um, and I went in and there was Wayne Murphy, Pat Lyons and Mick Ring. And um, I had my presentation done up and in fairness at the time, Pat Lyons just said, Tell us what you'll do. Tell us how you see it. Yeah. And we spoke, I think, for an hour and a half about what I felt I could do, how we how we change things around. They told me the club was in debt by quite a lot of money. Yeah. And I said it didn't bother me. 
I just said, look, at I can I can bring players from the senior league. Yeah. I know that I know all the underage players. Yeah. I know what you can do. And um, I left the interview. They interviewed other people, and the following I think that night they rang me and said, look, at we want to offer the job and. And they said we've only we've only got five players on the books. I think Mark McNulty was on the books. Maybe Garrod, Johnny Levy was still there. But I know they were saying you need to talk to these guys because yeah. Daryl Hogan is after being tapped up to go somewhere else. Yeah. And uh, but Daryl had made his mind up to go to Dundalk anyway. Yes. Yeah. Johnny decided to stay. Yeah. So um, it really was then putting the head down and just start recruiting. So I was, I I gave my notice with Guinness. I was appointed I think in the start of November two thirteen. Even though my contract with Cork City didn't start until the first of January. Okay, I had to I had to walk through for Guinness because it was a huge busy time in yeah. the in the industry. Obviously, yeah. with December. Were you worried, John, when like to walk away from a career and as you said yourself, pays the mortgage and all of that? Yeah, football is a fickle business. Like you had seen Damien walk away from the club, you'd seen you yeah. know Noel coming in and out. Like were you thinking yeah. to yourself, oh, is this a good idea here? No, like I presume there was conversations at home. Uh, to be honest, with you Stephen hand on heart. It was seven, eight, nine years earlier. I couldn't have done it. Okay. Okay. Financially, it wouldn't have worked. Yes. Okay. Because leaving the Agio, I was on a lesser contract to go to Cork City. Yes. But it was a different time for me. I suppose you get to a stage of your life where, you know, fortunately for me, my mortgage was near near the end. Yes. The, the two girls were in college. Yeah. yeah. So it was a stage where... You could you know, take the risk. Everyone, everyone gets to a stage in your life where that 15, 20 years in your life where your costs are huge. Mm. And then things change for you. And the risk, and while lots of people said I was mad, and I understood about the risk, the way I always felt about it, what could happen if I go in and six months into the job, it's a disaster. I'll, I'll go back on the road and I'll get a job on Somewhere. the road with someone else. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I always felt that way. Yeah, you, know? you were confident but enough. I always felt that if I didn't take it now, mm. 10 years time, I'll be looking back going, that was the biggest mistake of my life. So yeah. I had to do it. Yeah. You know, and... I can understand people were cautious and advised me maybe against taking it. But in my head, I was going, I felt the club was at a low ebb, yeah. Stephen. You know, we had been in the bottom half of the Premier Division for two years, forced to take over the club. Um, we'd been in the first division. We got promoted. But, you know, that last year, we, I was going to Turners Cross and we're, there was, you know, a thousand people at the match. And yeah. teams were walking down to Turners Cross, getting easy wins. And, and, and I was going, we had to get back and get a, a real passionate, aggressive team. And, you know, a team that people come up and say, well, they left everything on the pitch. And, and I suppose it was maybe going back to my old playing days. Yeah. And in my head, I had an idea who I wanted to get, what players I wanted to get. Obviously, in the local leagues, I knew Marcus Sullivan. Yeah. You know, I thought he could have an impact with us, which he did. Yeah. John Kavanagh, Josh O'Shea, there was kids like that, Rob Lee Han, Michael McSweeney. Outside of the likes of bringing back Dan Murray had packed up. Colin Healy get packed up. So I brought them back in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Experience. Experience. Yeah. And then we got obviously the two Denny's. They were yeah. big, you know, Darren was there, but I got Billy from um, Shamrock Rovers and we had Garrod and Gary Buckley was after coming through the system and Mark McNulty was there. So all of a sudden, I felt we had a nucleus of a team that was certainly going to, you know, no, no one's going to come to Turns Cross and get an easy game. And when and in two years, you kind of turned it around. Well, I, I think, you know, when you look back on managing and John, I asked John Cotter, and John was in the building sites to come in and give me a hand. And John came in and Billy Woods had been there at the time to help us out. And I asked Phil Harrington as well and Lisa Fallot. So there was a number of people asked to come in into the management side of things. But the first year was the year where we went to the last game of the season mm. up to Oriel Park. And you think about it, from I remember the very first game of the season, 
we were playing St. Pat's and Turner's Cross and St. Pat's had been the league champions the previous yeah, season. Yeah. And they had Cornell Byrne, Christy Fagan, Greg Bulger, Kenny Brown, all, all, all the yeah. great players. And I remember before the match in Turner's Cross, I can clearly see it to this day, walking out, it was start of March, there was 6,000 people, it was raining and there was a hum in the ground and I was going, Jesus, this is what we want. Do yeah. you know what I mean? And we drew that night. And then from that moment on that season, we were always in the top two or three. Yeah. And we ended up in Oriel Park. Yeah. Last game of the season. And obviously it didn't all beat us to win the league. But we we came second, we got into Europe and we had brought some money into the club. We you know, we had reduced the debt. But it just it was just a remarkable season, Stephen. And even yeah. you know, Colin Healy got the overhead kick goal against St. Oh, Pat's right, yeah. the famous yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. And Murray got a late header against um against Shamrock Grove at the end. We were winning games one yeah. nil. But there was tremendous fight and spirit winning that group. And maybe in hindsight, some, some people think that you hit the ground too quickly, you know, that, that, you know yeah. because we were, yeah. because at the end of the season, whereas the next year we came second again and we went to the cup final. Yeah. But we had much more aggro within the group and the team because we brought in new players as opposed to that very first year where we had an incredible team spirit and bonding within the, within the group. And, um, and we nearly won the league in the first year. So, um, but it was just for me and the management group, it was like, now we're back. People know who we are. You're not going to come to Cork and get an easy game. Yeah. The crowds are out supporting us. And it was, it was the beginning of that passion coming back into the club, you know, and that, that sort of proudness coming back in and that, you know, that anyone that comes down to our place now, they're going to have to earn the right to get a result. And, and our home record was incredible over, over those years. We, we had such a win ratio over four or five years at home, like, you know. And in twenty, you know, twenty sixteen, when you won the cup, so that was the first kind of trophy, yeah. I suppose. That must have been some feeling when the goal went in in extra time, kind of towards yeah. the end Shawnee, of extra time. Yeah, Shawnee, it was the last kick of the game of extra time, and I suppose ultimately, you're right. We went from two fourteen out of the blue, two fifteen second in the league, and got beaten in the cup final. And Dundalk won the double, mm. and then two sixteen. We beat Dundalk in the President's Cup at the start of 2016. That's right. And you could see that Greg Bolger, Kenny Brown had come in from, from Pats. So we sort of rebuilt our team a little bit, you know. And um, Shawnee had come in. Um, Dooley had come in. Shepard had come in. Yeah. So we had a nucleus of very, very good players. And we beat them in the President's Cup. And that year I was going, this could be the year now we could beat Dundalk because the previous years they were better than us. Yeah. Okay. And that league went neck all the way to the wire and they pipped us to win the league. And there was a few instances in that season where, you know, I think things didn't, 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 go, didn't go right for us. We had the European campaign and we went to play. We beat Linfield, we beat um, Hacken in Sweden and we played Genk. Yeah. And then they went on their Champions League runner. They That's went right. to the group stage yeah. or so. And we were miles ahead of everyone. I think the third place team was like 24 points behind us. It was yeah. incredible. But... I suppose the feeling was we needed to win something, you know, and they pipped us in the league and then we played them in the cup final. And of course, that famous day, Shawnee gets the win on the last kick of the game. And no doubt it was, it was massive. And for the double the next year, we wouldn't have won the double only for winning the cup. There's no doubt in my mind. It gave you that. confidence. Huge confidence. Because the team knew they were there, thereabouts. Yeah. We just needed that trophy. And plus the fact in the media, you know, I suppose a lot of the Dublin media were behind Dundalk. Yeah. You know, and it became very much like us and them. They were like perceived as a Dublin team. We were Cork. Yeah. And, you know, we were getting a little bit of 
criticism about our style and they were the sexy team and we weren't. You yeah. know what I mean? But for me, it was really about us. You know, being Cork and, and, yeah. and but we had, we had an incredible team that yeah. year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fantastic players. But the cup definitely, there's no doubt winning the cup and the relief and bringing it back to the Grand Prix the following night and yeah. the scenes and the crowd in the, in the Grand Prix was phenomenal. And but that certainly was the kickoff for the following season. And the crowds are massive. The, the start of, every game was getting sold out then the start of the next season. It was. And you just went on an unbelievable run. I think you were like 20 points ahead at one stage. Like, if you, if you think about it, Stephen, Dundalk came down to play us in the President Cup um, in 2017 and we, after we beat them in the Cup and they were after winning the league. And when we beat them again in the President's Cup that, that day in Turnish Cross, you could sense by them it was the first time that they went, these guys are better than us. Yeah. Okay. But the confidence within the group and the yeah. team was incredible. McCormick had also come in that time and we brought McCormick in instead of Greg and Greg had been there but McCormick took some yeah. place. And then Kenny Brown had left us on the, on the start of the season and we brought in Ryan Delaney. Mm. And people think, he hardly ever gets mentioned. Ryan, Ryan Delaney played every game in the double winning team. And no one hardly remembers him. He was incredible. Back. Back, but yeah. Benno was with him. Yeah. And Benno was the man. And you'd, you know, you'd beats there as well. And, and Kevin O'Connor obviously was there and Shane Griffin in the background. But Benno was like the fellow who looked after the team. And, and for Ryan Delaney, it was the perfect partnership. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... You think about it, first 22 league games and we went 21-0-22 Whoa. and it was just, it was just off the wall and stuff. And we went to, we went to, we went to Dundalk at the break. We had beaten them at home mm. 2-1 in Turner's Cross on a Saturday, yeah. sold out yeah. on the Thursday. Yeah. Okay. And we were seven, eight, nine points ahead of them. But by the time we got to the break, on the break, our last game was away to Dundalk and we beat them 3-0 in Oriel Park and Shawnee got the hat-trick. We were 18 points clear that night. And I come back yeah. in the bus thinking, in the back of my head, we had already sold Shawnee yeah. Preston two months earlier. Who was, he was probably one of the best ever kind of starts of a season for any player in the League of Ireland history, I'd say, in terms of the goals he was getting. Well, if you look at the previous year in 2016, he got, he got 29 goals. In 2017, he had 20 goals, 20 games. Yeah. Like if he'd stayed with us for the last 11 games, he'd have probably broken the 30 goal mark, yeah. which no one has broken. For, for for years or for yeah, decades yeah. okay you know but outside of that like he also had Shepard he also had Dooley yeah, he had fellas that were underrated yeah. who, but who were really intelligent players yeah. and if you speak to Shawnee himself he, he'll mention those yeah. guys and you, and you had the nucleus of the midfield three of Gary Buckley Gerard Morrissey and Conor McCormack so it was just it was just um, a phenomenal run and then of course we lost Shawnee to um, to Preston we lost Kevin O'Connor Shane Griffin came in for um or Kevin, we bought Kieran Sadler from Sligo. Yeah. He was one of the few transfers that we ever paid in, in the club. And of course, obviously we were going to win the league, but on the run in, we lost a couple of games and, and then eventually, you remember the storm, the blue. That's right. The stand down. Ophelia. Der yeah, Ophelia, Derry Nan. Yeah. And the game was supposed to be played against Derry and it was called off That's until right. the following day. Yeah. And, we, and we had to reduce the attendance. Yeah. And then we got the draw at home to Derry to win the league yeah. with a couple of games to go. Well, we were still in the cup final and we got the cup final and it was, you know, as I said, it was incredible because it was the first time the league champions going in the cup final were underdogs because everyone, everyone was saying that. Because the form that was gone, kind the of, the confidence. The, 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 I would say our form, it wasn't that our form was gone, it was, it was that we hadn't been as prolific as we had been for the first yes. 2000 season, which was understandable. And, and I always felt, and even with the team, that while Johnny was brilliant and we know how great he was, still a lot of players within the team were, were, were fantastic players, but 
they did just didn't seem to get the credit in the in the in the bigger picture. So I think that's why going to that cup final and winning and beating Dundalk and the penalties and you know, I think, you know, it was the icing and the cake, you know, just showed that it was a brilliant squad and a brilliant bunch of guys. Is that the highlight of your football career? Or would you say playing was better, like like in terms of managing or playing? No, definitely managing. Is it? It's funny, it's funny because I think when you play, Stephen, it's only about yourself. Yeah. And all you think about is yourself and in some ways when you're a player, the manager is nearly the enemy. And while you have great times as a player and you really enjoy them, you have no care really. Whereas a manager, you're over the whole group, not only the players, the management as well. Um, You have to deal with the supporters every day, which is which is fantastic. And like the double, it was unique. But like the cup winning 216 was fantastic. You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, to end up winning the double for the club and we winning it down here and we'd never won the double. You know, we know in 205, we had been closed. Yeah. You know, we got beaten by Drad in the cup. Yeah. And I think it was just an incredible time in the in, in the club's history. Like, you know. The following season then, was there a bit of him? Um... I suppose was there a bit of hangover, or like, or, or did you start losing players because of the success? They started moving on, or yeah. You see, typical League of Ireland, we weren't in, you know, our contracts were one and two years. Yeah, max after they won the double, we had only got to like players' contract when I first went in were thirty five weeks. Yeah, then they were thirty eight weeks, then they went to forty weeks, and I had been saying to the club that going forward, like, in any other job in Ireland, if you go and get a job. You get a job for 12 months. You do, yeah. yeah. You know, and it's wrong the top the top players in Ireland that are winning that at the end of the season they go on the door for 12 weeks. It's it's, it's morally wrong. Yeah. And and by 2018 we decided to get 52-week contracts. Um, there had been money coming in from Europe but the club also expanded. We brought in a general manager. We'd also brought in extra people on the commercial marketing side. Yeah. And the whole cost of the club had gone up. Yeah. Okay. But at the same time, we had lost a number of players. Obviously, Sean and Kevin had gone. Um, after 217, we were trying to find a centre forward. H. Campion had gone as well. Yeah. So, we, you know, so there had been a mixture of Ryan Delaney had left. Yeah. He'd gone to England. So we had been losing players. Stephen Dooley had gone. Yeah. You know, so there was a number of key players went as well. And, it, and, and it's always every year trying to bring in new players in and find those players that will make the difference. And that's always a challenge. But in 218, if you look on it... Um, at the half, at the break of the 218, we were top of the table. We started 218 on fire. Yeah. And we were phenomenal. Yeah. And we brought some new players in, like, obviously, Sads was a regular in the team. Um, Graham Cummins had come in, Barry McNamee. But we were the nucleus of a, of a, of a very a very strong team because we had Garrod Morrissey, Gary Buckley, mm. Conor McCormick in midfield. So we, we were still very strong. But when we came back after the break, we ended up in a week of, we got beaten with a last minute goal up in Dundalk mm. in the 93rd minute. Um, a ball went in off Sean McLaughlin's chest and the last kick of the game and they beat us 2-1. And a week later, Kieran Sadler missed the penalty against Bazuna at the time. I, I remember it. When he was 16, the 16-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the week, we took one point yeah. out of six. Yeah. And then we went into the Legia Warsaw game around the time. And of course, there was Champions League and there was huge hype down here. And, you know, we got a really tough draw because they were the, the number two seeds. Yeah. But at home, we were very unlucky. Yeah. But they scored late on and they beat us 1-0 and obviously they beat us 3-1. And our form just dipped. Mac- McNulty, who'd never missed a game for five years, picked up an injury in the Shamrock Rovers match. Peter Cherry had come in and Mark missed about seven, eight, nine matches. Yeah. And Peter came in and Peter did well, but he wasn't Mark McNulty. Yeah, yeah. You know, Alan Bennett had picked up a knock. We had um, Damien, Damien Delaney come back in from England. 
and you know Damien was adjusting to back into League of Ireland. Yeah. So we became more unsettled in the middle of the season through injuries, through yeah. no one's fault, just injuries just and happened. And, and, yeah. happened. and I think really the the real blow, Stephen, that year was when you we not got beaten in the Champions League, we defaulted to the Europa League. Yeah. But we got a bye. So we didn't go into the Euro- Europa League second round, which is, in hindsight, would have been better off because the chances of us winning a game in the second round would have been easier and we'd have got 250,000. Yeah. We got a bye to the third round and we drew Rosenberg. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely think that the, the impression that was created that Rosenberg were an easy touch and Rosenberg were a fantastic team. Yeah. And I think the home game when they beat us 2-0 really knocked the stuffing out of the team because there had been a lot of talk and a lot of talk in the media that we beat Rosenberg and that Nicholas Spentner, no, he, 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 he wasn't a great player. He might yeah. have been a great player for Arsenal and Juventus. But by God, he was a great player for, for, for Rosenberg. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. And, you know, they had a couple of Dutch internationals, but, you People know, don't it, it, was skipped, it was skipped over. Yeah. And I think that period just knocked us a bit. And, and Dundalk had got the run in us. And um, I suppose, I always say in 2018, we were still second and we were still 15, 16 points ahead of, 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 of Shamrock Rovers, but we weren't. Yeah. Dundalk had moved on. And plus Dundalk were paying much bigger wages and, and it brought Pat Huben back from England. And, um, you know, obviously we went to the cup final in 2018 and, uh, and they beat us 2-1 in the final. It, it's a combination of, we lost some good, very good players from the double team. Mm. And um, just that Dundalk financially were, were, were in a much stronger position than we were. So I think the fact we had won the double the year before and we come second in both in 2018, it looked bad. And that's probably why, you know, people saw it that way. But, you know, I think we take second now and being in the cup final now. You know, any day of the week, I'd imagine. You know. So, and plus the fact, team, it was our fourth cup final in a row, yeah, which was right. unique. Yeah, you know, and and at that time in two eighteen, which I found it, um, I suppose, a little bit disappointing. We were going for three in a row cup wins, and it was the lowest attendance of the four cup finals that we brought to the match. Oh, because it seemed to be a, like it was perceived, you know, in, in media circles, or oh, that we were, it was a bad season for us. We were going for three in a row cups, and we we, we brought less supporters that final than any other three. I could never figure figure that out why locally uh, some sections of the media were, were, were down in the team. I just found it surprising, you know, because um, we could have created history if we won three Cups in a row. And then roll on to the following season. Yeah. That was a tough season for you, John, I'd say. But yeah, it, it, it became, you know, as we all know, um, there had been a period over a couple of years I'd been talking to the board and how could we bring the club forward, keep it competitive, without this roller coaster of Cork soccer Up and which down. we had seen for 40, 50 yeah. years okay and I had experienced it myself yeah. and we decided that the ideal model would be along the lines of keeping force and having supporters of part of the club bringing in outside investment yeah. and selling part of the club yeah. a bit like what Dermot Desmond did with Champion Grovers yeah. okay? and we had discussed that but when you're successful and things are going very well Stephen Sometimes people think then, sure, we don't need to do anything. And it's then you do need to do something. Yeah. Okay. You know, Pat Chine was, you know, always in his head wary that there would be a lot of probably people in forest that would mightn't want this. And predict the fact that the team had been doing so well, that why would we need to make any change? Okay. Yeah. But at the time, the bigger plan was that we need to get in some outside investment. Yeah. But then he, he, he got very sick. Yeah. And obviously, two weeks after the, the cup final in 2018, he died, yeah. you know. 
And that was an awful blow yeah. the club. And, and, um, and I still believe to this day it was part of the reason why, you know, different things happened. Mm. Because he was, he was very strong to keep everyone together. Keep together, yeah. So at Lyons then at, at that Christmas decided he'd step down as chairman. And then we had a complete new board in January. But for me, we need, we had to have a complete new team as well because a lot of lads had left. Yeah. You know, Cuhan had left. Sadler had left. A lot of them went to England. They, a lot of them went, and, 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 you know, so I was, I was, I was then trying to bring in the Darrell Connors, the Dan Casey's, along with Sean McLaughlin, Connor McCarthy's, and restart a new team. But certainly in 2019, I knew against Dundalk and the way that Rovers had invested, I knew then that they had gone ahead of us. Yeah. And it was for us now to sort of maybe build a new team and, um, Get get into the top four and stay in Europe, because uh, we were also in Europe that year as well. Yeah, you know, because we had, as it turned out, we had, we had the Luxembourg game. But I suppose for myself, I was in my last year of the contract, and I suppose to be fair, you know, there was certainly the people on the board, the new lads, you know, they're all corks of these supporters. But there's no doubt there was certainly two or three that wanted me out, and and uh, and I sensed that from the start. So I had thought that we might have left for the season. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but it, it didn't happen that way and, that's, and you know and, and that was their choice and, and and they wanted to make a change and, and um, you know at the end of April it, it, I think we had played 13 matches we were 6th um, the European game was coming up certainly the crowds had dropped a bit and I know there was a lot of talk that you know we had cut the budgets and financially was thought that we were losing some money on the gates but you know compared to 214 when we come in as a club and we were heavily in debt you know, to me, I was, as bad. I, I was saying, look at the European game as massive first mm. and we, st- we still could get into Europe. But I think there was an atmosphere between an element that that I needed to be moved on. And certainly there was a couple of people on the board who wanted to do that. And that was their choice. And I suppose the only thing was, it was only when it came out of it, Stephen, I suppose I realised the incredible pressure that I was under yeah. and the incredible work that we were doing. And, you know, that it probably took me probably a couple of months to get back to some bit of normality and realise, Jesus, you put your life on the line there for, for five or six years, you know. And did you become bitter towards the club? Absolutely not, no. No? Not but at what, any stage? Not an iota. Why would I? Yeah. I've, all my life. Yeah. I meet people every day of the week in the streets. Yeah. A fantastic relationship. I wrote the book because of my great times. Yeah. You know, it, just because maybe a handful of people didn't want me there, that's fine. Yeah. That would never take away from 99% of absolute incredible support and the incredible times I had as a player mm-hmm. and uh, it galled me to see the team going down because there was so much work had gone into putting the team where it was and keeping the club up there and being proud to be challenging at the top and so what if if we were getting slagged off from sections outside of Cork and saying you're this or that I didn't give a damn we were up there yeah, challenging us so uh, absolutely not it's my life you know Cork City so yes do I think and disappointed that it happened and I did say, I did say that particular day to the couple of lads, I think lads are making a mistake, yeah. you know, but at the same time, you know, the, 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 there was a mood and um, they wanted their own man and that's fine. But certainly, certainly uh, my my feeling towards the club is, is absolutely, has, has never changed. Is know? it a case of being careful what you wish for because the club went further down and down and unfortunately got relegated? Yeah, and, and, and that's been a disaster. Yeah. You know, that has been a disaster because you end up in the first division and I, I suppose to be honest with you Stephen I never saw myself being back in football Yeah. certainly when I was off in that period I was approached by a number of people about doing getting involved in, in takeovers 
and I was involved with a number of people in two different takeovers. To buy the club? With, with different clubs, yes, with different clubs. And to get involved because I never saw myself come back in to manage. Okay. Because I suppose if you look at it, I'd be with Coxie all my life, playing, sporting, managing. Yeah. And um, I'd come back to do a little bit of work with the adjunct contract work. And um, the year and a half I was out, I must admit, God, I missed the buzz of not being involved in football. Yeah. You know, and out of the blue, when when the call came in and someone rang me to say, look, would you be interested in the Galway? Yeah. I never thought of it that way. And I was thinking... And when I went back up and met Galway, I couldn't wait to get started. Did you see similarities between them and Cox City? You kind of sleep and join absolutely, kind of Absolutely, absolutely. But, uh, but I, I think, you know, Galway has lots of potential and lots of one club, one city. But like ever, like everything else, there's an awful lot of work to be done on the ground. Yeah. We put a lot of structures in place. Financially, it's very, very tough. Yeah. Uh, the Comer brothers are our sponsors, but they don't own the club. Yeah. Um, probably would be better if they did own the club. Yeah. Um, but the club are owned by the supporters, the okay. co-op. And so very, very similar. So we put a lot of structures in place, but the first division was very difficult because I had never been in the first division, Stephen. We'd yeah. always been in the Premier Division. Yeah. We were lucky. Even as, as a players, player, never. Yeah, never, yeah. you know. So, yeah. And now the fact there's only one team up, you know. It's very difficult. And yeah. now you look at next season, the League of Ireland and the furthest team south is UCD. You know, Whoa. and you draw a line up to, up to Sligo and you go north. Yeah. And you've Galway, Limerick, Cork, Waterford, like it's City being the biggest club, Waterford being a huge club, Limerick a huge club, Galway with massive, massive potential. But they've spent in the last 15, 20 years, most of the time in the first division. Because yeah. they can't get out. Yeah. And uh, and they have got out, get up, got up and got relegated. But they like it's 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 so hard and so difficult with one up one one up and one down. So I've gone in there, I know different than being in City. I love football, I love being involved. And I'm doing everything and I'm working as hard as I can to make them better. Yeah. We're much better now than we were 12 months ago. Yeah. But still the challenge is can we get out and get promoted over the next two years so they have two years to, to go within the club. And and that's our aim. But like it's it's disappointing having to play City. Yeah. You know, while they enjoy coming back to, and, and, and meeting people on the cross, it's still desperate to see. Great if we were in the Premier Division. Yeah. But not in the First Division, you know. Yeah. So let's, 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 let's hope that that changes quickly, you know. John, I have two final questions so I ask somebody every week the same questions the first one is what tip would you give a business to build a brand so you've built teams like you've built very successful teams like to anyone out there that has that's managing a group of people what, what tip would you give them I think you have to be you have to be hands on yeah you have to show them that you that you would do everything mm. you know that no job is too big for anyone yeah. you have no airs and graces if you're if you're building a business up and come, you have to be the guy that that, that shows them that you can do any job within, within the group. And I think you have to be ultimately straight with people, you know, and I find that particularly when you're dealing with employment and contracts and, and you know, and the most difficult time for a, a manager or an employer is if they're to let someone go or in football terms, you get to the end of the season and you're telling them they don't have a contract for next yeah, year. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a horrible, most horrible thing you have to do. And it's not that they've done anything wrong. It's just, it's just you believe that they're not, good enough for your plan for next year. Yeah. Okay. But at the same time, and I've had players, and what I've found afterwards, I'm meeting players over the years, while they were desperately disappointed at the time, but I always said, come back to you and say, well, at least you told me straight and you told me the truth and you didn't give me a fob story. Honestly. And, and, um, and I always say to my, my management staff, you know, well, he can't do this, he can't do that. I said, I, I don't want to hear what they can't do. I want to hear what they can do because it's our job to make them better. Because as a management and a management group, 
our job with players is to make them better, make a team better. Yeah. You know, we wouldn't be here if, if they were brilliant or yeah. if they were winning everything, we wouldn't be here, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so that's it. So I think it's, it's very much of empowering your employees as well, which that they can do things better. How can they improve things? What's their opinion on making the company better? How can they be more efficient? Yeah. I think you empower people and if you empower people, they do it and they become much more loyal to you and they do a lot, they work a lot harder because yeah. they have pride in their work, you know. So um, that's probably the best bit of advice I could give Stephen. And the other one then is, what tip would you give an individual? So let's say somebody's starting off in their career, you know, you've been through a number of different kind of roles at this stage. What tip would you give them? I think believe in yourself, but you have to take the knocks and that if someone knocks you, you have to be able to come back. Yeah. And and have you seen people not being able to take those knocks and maybe yeah absolutely yeah uh, in the football world it's massive Stephen you know talented it, individuals ta- talented because you think about it that you get talented players come through at twelve thirteen fourteen yeah and people around them their families are talking about oh they're going to play at the highest level and yeah. they're going to be earning millions it's just nonsense yeah and then they come to fifteen sixteen seventeen eighteen. And they come out of what I call schoolboy football or youth football and they go to men's football, yeah. which is really the first time you're going from a youngster into a man's world. Yeah. And, you know, the people that are telling you this are minding you from behind and you're, you're really going into an area where you have to look after yourself and being able to stand up and be counted. Yeah. And psychologically, so many young youngsters and teenagers, girls and boys, they just fall away because they've been built up. Uh, maybe I'm wrong Stephen but I think when you, I was growing up and a lot of the lads I played with and they were growing up their parents were supporters of them but they never interfered yeah and if, and if, and if you came home and my dad would say you were crap today yeah whereas it's now as if oh the manager's the problem the coach is the problem and yeah and, and, and it's it's a false information they're given to their their, their, their young people and, and they're not a lot of people now aren't, when they get the knocks, they can't come back. And I, I don't want to harp on, on anyone, but I always think that when you look at Maguire, Johnny Maguire, people often say, well, Jesus, you made him. Yeah. I didn't make him. He made himself because all we did is we opened the gate and we showed him what he could do and try to bring the confidence back out of him yeah. because he had talent, but his head was in the ground and he was, as he said himself, if he had an open goal in front of him, he wouldn't score. He wouldn't score. Mm. Okay. And, and that was big part of being dropped, part of himself not doing things right, mm. not working hard enough. And ultimately, we got into his head and got around him and he started training as hard as he could. We told him what he needed to do and he did it. And it showed what he could do. But he was one out of about 20 players. 19 others would be gone out of the game and uh, because they'd have just walked away. And, and we see all around every city in Ireland, every town in Ireland, Players that we all say, God, he was a brilliant guy at 15 or 16, but at 24, 25, he drifted out of yeah. the game or he hadn't played and in all sports. And um, any new per- person, is, it's believing in themselves. But when you get knocked, you have to come back again. Yeah. You know, and you have to look at the mirror and realize, am I really doing everything to make myself better? Am I training as hard as I can? Am I working as hard as I can? Because, you know, it's easy to blame other people since I've gone into managing teams and whatever. You look at every day and saying, did I work hard enough? Did I do enough? Did I help him enough? Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, and for any young person, you have to say, that's, you just keep your head down, work hard, look at yourself in the mirror. But if someone knocks you, be prepared, you'll come back again. 
John, it's been a fascinating conversation. I could have gone on for hours with you. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine there's much more in that book, Rebel Heart. Uh, can people pick it up anywhere? I think it's in all bookstores, Easton's Waterstones, you know, and at most. And I think the main thing, it's really, you know, I was asked to write it because I was a League of Ireland person. And I think it, I'm hoping for all the city heads and people around Cork that when they pick it up, they can remember all the great stories and yeah. see, you know, there was no dual carriageways, there was no mobile phones. We were hopping on the bus on a Sunday morning at eight o'clock in Imperial, four and a half hours up to Dublin, four and a half hours back, yeah. living in each other's pockets and how the, the spirit and that bond became between players, but also, um, you know, the real enjoyment of playing the game and the wins and losses. But just, I suppose, I just hope it, it gives every generation something in the book that they say, I like that story and, yeah. you know, we'll see. Well, John, best of luck in the season ahead with, with Galway. Hopefully not, not better than Cork City, but yeah. uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what you do over the next couple of years. I'm sure there's another couple of trophies in you yet. So thanks, thanks a million for coming in. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the 24 Stories podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn at 24 Stories Tribe. I'll be back next week with a brand new guest.